And now, broadcasting from a two-person hot tub, high atop the Butterfield Park water tower, it's the E-Town Lowdown, created by Robbie and Rick. And now, your handsome hosts, PK and Rick. Welcome to another special edition of the E-Town Lowdown COVID-19 pandemic. Today is Tuesday, April 21st. 2020, and I have Pamela Dunley, the president and CEO of Elmer's Memorial Hospital, on the line. How are you, Pam? I'm good. I'm looking at the beautiful blue sky out my office window. It's hard to believe it's so nice. I don't know if you've been out today, but it's a little deceiving. It's very, very chilly out, but it certainly looks beautiful out the windows, that's for sure. (laughs) (laughs) Well, let me live in my fantasy, please. (laughs) Um, I kind of was paying attention to the news the last few minutes, and and I don't know if it came out earlier this morning or just now, but the governor said that it looks, in his opinion, like a mid-May peak in Illinois. And uh, Mayor Lightfoot in Chicago has made comments that she thinks the stay-at-home order for all of Illinois uh, may go as far as uh, sometime in June. So uh looks like it's going to be here for a while, doesn't it? Well, I did not hear any of that, but it does not surprise me. And um, I think we should be expecting that. Although here, I think things are changing slightly, so we may be a little bit different. Well, that's good. Can you give me a little update on your your patient census as it relates to COVID? Absolutely. So um, currently at Elmhurst, we have 61 patients in-house. Last week when I spoke with you, it was 64. In between, we did go up to 72, and now we're coming down. So Maybe we had our peak. I'm hoping we did. Uh, That would be lovely. We do have seven rule-out patients, and um, currently right now we have had 30 patients who have passed away. Last week at this time it was 22. Um, DuPage County last week at this time was 1,223, and this week is at 1,761 positive patients. Illinois last week was at 22,025, and this week is at 31,513. So um, everybody's continuing to go up. But uh, as I said, I think we are peaking. Um, We have had, in terms of inpatient discharges, which is always nice to know people are getting healthy and going home, uh, 149 patients have been discharged. And through our emergency department, we have had uh, 350 patients who have tested positive and who have been discharged from the emergency department. One little quick story that I think um, the listeners might be interested in. Last week, the day after we talked, we had a patient who was one of our early admissions who was a 30-year-old gentleman, who is a 30-year-old gentleman, who had gotten very sick and had been put on a ventilator. And he had been on the ventilator for 21 days. And on Wednesday, um, he was able to come off the ventilator. This gentleman has, uh, as I said, he's 30. He has a wife, a toddler, and a five-month-old. And it was so moving to have him off the ventilator. We were able to uh, get an iPad and FaceTime his wife and children and bring it into the room so that they could see him able to speak and able to be off the ventilator. And everybody was cheering, and it was it was really quite exciting. That's great because uh, we've all heard that these folks are with the exception of staff members who may be strangers to them when they when they walk in the door 
they uh, they don't have anybody else around them, and uh, they kind of count on on your staff to be their family members uh, while they're there, which is has got to be really really tough. So the last couple of weeks, you indicated that um, the intakes of new COVID patients were about equal to the patient discharges, and that appears to to be continuing. It's about, about that, but I think a little less coming in than are, than are going out, and that's why we've come down from 72 to 61 in-house. So maybe that's making a change. I do see um, in terms of number of people that test positive a day, that's not going down too much, but most of them are able to stay out of the hospital. Do you have a sense for where most of these people are uh, are catching the virus? Are they Is it that they're not social distancing? Do you think it's... When they're out shopping, is it probably pretty tough to tell at this point, isn't it? I think that it's a lot of community acquired, yes. I don't know what they're doing, but I'm I'm sure that people are not all social distancing. And um, I can... You know, I can tell you that when we talk to people, they're really surprised that they've got it. Not all of them know anybody else who's had it. So, you know, they you just don't know who has it. And if you don't wear your mask and you don't social distance, you don't know what you're exposing yourself to. Do you see that, um, this is an unfair question too, do you, do you think that maybe a lot of the folks that are being exposed to it are of working age? In other words, folks that are being careful, but they uh, they have to work because they're in in essential businesses, but maybe don't have the protection that a a health and the training that a healthcare worker has. I think they may not understand the protection and how to do it properly, because um, even when you take off a mask, how you touch it, um, if you have gloves on, how you touch your gloves, if you don't wash your hands right away, I do think a lot of it is just not understanding how to keep yourself protected. Sure. And as it relates to that, how is the staff doing as far as COVID cases? Um, We have increased the number of staff that have COVID. Uh, Currently at Elmhurst, I think last week we were at 14, and this week we are at 28. So we have doubled the number of staff members, but of that 28, only one works on a COVID unit, and, um, and he's not sure where he got it, but he, it's only one out of the whole 28. Okay. Any any staff members been admitted for treatment? Not from Elmhurst. Okay. Okay. Um, I, I noticed that there's a lot of nursing homes in the Chicago area that have COVID outbreaks. Have you uh, treated any any folks from nursing homes at Elmhurst? Yes, and we work really closely with all of our area nursing homes. Um, we have very close connections, and so um, our our social work department has worked with 22 area nursing homes. Um, we've tested over 138 patients from different long-term uh, care settings. Um, of all the settings, there has been 68 patients that have been positive, but there's scattered all around. Uh, currently in the hospital, we have seven patients from different facilities that have come from nursing homes. Um, every time a person from a uh, nursing home or a um, congregate care facility, anywhere where there's lots of people living together, we test them to make sure they are not positive. Um, and so that we always know before we send someone back from the emergency department if they have tested positive or not. 
Okay. I know that uh, testing uh, hopefully will become more readily available, and I know that's a, a government priority. Um, so if someone comes in with mild symptoms now, and we talked about this a few weeks ago, but you know, mild symptoms that are characteristic of COVID-19, will they generally uh, get tested by their doctor or sent somewhere for testing? Or are they, does it have to be more serious symptoms? Well, mild symptoms, we're preferring that they quarantine at home, and that would be their doctors telling them to do that. Obviously, the doctor's going to evaluate their overall health conditions, so if they're a high-risk individual, they may want them temp tested even if they have mild symptoms. But in general, as long as there's no shortness of breath um, or you know, an, an inability to move around freely, uh, usually we do not encourage people to come to the emergency department. We do have, though, I don't know if all of your listeners know, but we do have on our website um, a lot of resources, and there is a chat box um, on the website that is a symptom checker for COVID. So if anybody's interested about something that they might be experiencing, they can go on the website and they can use the chat box. There's a um, a person called Eleanor who communicates with you on the chat box and helps you understand your symptoms and makes recommendations. Also, we do have a nurse triage line that's on the website as well if anybody wanted to call somebody and talk to them specifically. Um, you know, and then... If you call your doctor, a lot of our physicians are doing telephone visits and video visits through my chart video visits, so you can even have them check you out before um, you decide if you needed to get testing or not. So that chat box, that the Eleanor, that's that's basically you're, you're typing and getting a, a typewritten answer back, correct? Correct. Okay. And as far as testing goes, and I, I don't mean to harp on testing, but um, are they more readily available now to you and uh, to others? And how many can you administer in, in a day currently? Yeah, testing for us has become much more uh, readily available. We are one of 12 hospitals in Illinois to be approved to do testing. We are doing a couple of different types of testing. We're doing um, the rapid the rapid quick tests, and we're doing the one that's uh, eight hours. Uh, so we can do a variety of testing. You know, we've done a lot of studies around the quick test because I know people were concerned of whether it yielded results that were sensitive enough to pick up if someone had COVID. And we have um, we have very thorough physicians in charge of our labs who did internal validation on the process, and um, we have a 95% accuracy rate on those, which is really high. So uh, we are doing those quick tests. Right now, we can do about 150 tests through our drive-in um, testing facility in Warrenville, just off of 88 um, at our corporate office in the in the parking lot. We have a tent set up, set up there, and we are doing drive-through rapid tests for people. You have to come with a doctor's order, though, so if you just show up, you're not going to get tested. But if you have a doctor's order, you can get that done there. And then in the hospital, we do approximately um, 60 to 70 tests per day. Wow. Um, are you still um, also confirming the results of the quick test with the eight-hour test? Only, no, only if somebody comes up negative on a quick test and we still have concerns. But because of the validity that we have found, we don't need to do that on a regular basis. Okay. How, uh, how are you uh, 
in terms of supplies, and I know last week you mentioned PDI wipes. Uh, how's your supply of those, and is there anything else that uh, you're in need of or you feel you might be soon? So um, PDI wipes continue to be an issue. There's a manufacturer back order. We were supposed to get um, our regular supply because we have regular quantities that come in, um, and we did not receive those. They're on back order from the manufacturer until April 30th. So we were hoping they will come in at that time. Right now we are um, using what we have left, and we are also using spray bottles that um, with Virex in it that meet the same standards, but you know it's not as easy as the PDI wipes. And then other supplies we're doing pretty good on right now. Um, you know, who knows? Isolation gowns, we've been burning through those at a quite a high level, and so we have some isolation gowns that are reusable, and we've set up a whole process for how to dis disinfect or launder different kinds of gowns. And our N95 masks, we also um, have a process that where they can be disinfected as well that has met all the standards. Oh, so those can actually be reused then if they're disinfected. I didn't realize that. Yeah, there's a special kind of fogging that has to be done with them, and, and you have to really examine them to make sure that their the integrity is intact. But, um, yeah, it's met all the CDC standards to disinfect them. They just, it, you can't use them for more than three or four days, but, you know, nice. at least that, that prolongs the use of them. Right. So I've gotten the feeling the last few times we've spoken that your non-COVID patient census has is very low compared to what it normally is. And I don't know if that was by design or is it, do you think folks aren't feeling comfortable? And, and what would you say about that for people that, you know, really should go to the hospital but are avoiding it for one reason or another? You know, I'm so glad you asked that question because I heard this the other day that people were scared to come to the hospital. And I believe in the beginning it was um, it was good to try to stay home if you didn't need to go to the emergency room or if you didn't need to go to your physician while we understood this disease and got all the safety precautions in place. But right now, if you are not feeling well and you think you need let's say you think you're having appendicitis or you're, you're concerned about your heart or any other reason why you would normally use an emergency room, you will be safe if you come into the emergency room. And I, I worry more about people being so frightened that they wait too long and have higher risk for a negative outcome or something seriously happening to them because they haven't gotten the care that they need and require. So I, I would recommend to all of you to pay attention to your loved ones. If they're not feeling well, call your doctor or if you need to go to the emergency room, do because there are ways that we have now that we can make sure that you're safe and that um, we keep you protected as we've been keeping our staff protected as we continue to keep COVID patients separate from our other patients. You've also mentioned in the past that uh, the hospital had stopped um, performing elective surgeries is that still the case, and are, and if, if so, are you considering starting those up again soon? Yes, we um, are not doing elective surgeries because of the governor uh, who does not want you to do elective surgeries at this time. But if something is not, if you will not be safe because you're postponing it too long, we can do those surgeries, and it's 
and we are getting ready for when we are able to start doing elective surgeries again to be able to be ready to start right away. So we are um, we have created an environment that is totally clean. We have processes for testing patients before they would go into surgery to make sure that they do not have COVID before we would ever do surgery on them. And then, um, you know, processes for making sure that they are kept safe throughout the entire surgery and recovery period. So um, that will that hopefully will be lightened up on soon as the governor looks at what is necessary to keep close and what is not. But if you are going to have a negative outcome because you're waiting too long, we can do those surgeries now, and we are doing those surgeries. Okay. I know that's part of the uh, Edward Elmhurst Health System that you have uh, uh, partner hospital, Linden Oaks Behavioral Health Hospital. So my question is, is it operating as normal and can you give me an idea on maybe patient census and have there been any increases in patients dealing with anxiety from the shelter-in-place order? So Linden Oaks Hospital is open for business. Um, they are, as we all are, have adapted to making sure that patients stay safe. So they do... Um, have precautions in place for patients when they're coming into the inpatient unit. Uh, they monitor patients just like we do in terms of when they're coming in or for fever, uh, for signs and symptoms, and then they test. They have not had um, positive patients. They had one that um, turned out positive that was discharged that day, so was not involved with any of the other patients. Um, they have, are doing their outpatient treatment um, differently. They're doing a lot of telehealth. So if somebody is outpatient, they can do Zoom visits for um, group treatments and um, telehealth video visits through MyChart for medication management and counseling. Um, so those things continue as, you know, but their census isn't as high just like everybody else, um, I think people are still afraid to go get treatment, which we do encourage them to get treatment. It's not good to wait on that. And in terms of an increased census related to anxiety, you're, you're spot on. This pandemic really does raise people's anxiety and stress levels. Um, you know, sheltering in place order has a negative impact on people we are seeing increase in panic attacks. We're seeing increase in people even coming into our emergency department who think they're having chest pain or think that they're having um, having COVID, and their symptoms are really panic attacks. It, you know, anxiety, increase in um, obsessive-compulsive types of behaviors, problems with sleep disorders, uh, appetite issues, um, depression, worry, worry about your job, worry about family conflicts, increased agitation, etc. And so, you know, that's why I would encourage people to, number one, do healthy behaviors even when you're isolated, whether that's meditating, uh, yoga, um, eating properly, reaching out to, to people by any means, whether it's through Facebook or talking, etc., um, but trying to live in the moment and focus on now and not thinking about all the what-ifs and all the worry, but what do you have control over and what is your faith and what helps you to get through and feel connected and feel uh, a sense of calm and control. The other is if you can't do that on your own or you need to reach out, 
please do call and get hooked up with a video visit. Even if you've never seen anybody, a therapist at all, they are doing online through my chart an initial video assessment, and then they can do telephone visits after that. It's uh, really important. What we do think is, is we're not seeing as much of the anxiety coming in and getting help as we anticipate will happen in the next couple of weeks. We think we're about two weeks off because the West Coast and East Coast are now having big surges and anxiety attacks, and we think that we are two weeks behind them in all aspects of this pandemic, and we think that'll be coming in two weeks. Well, I hope people that do need help get it. And I have have one last question for you. I had heard a rumor that the hospital has a program to plant daffodils in recognition of released COVID patients. Can you tell me more about that? <laughs> well, it's not quite what you said, but it, but thank you for asking because it is really exciting and it starts today and actually the newspapers are coming at three. So I'll be meeting with them at three o'clock today. But what we're doing at both Edward and Elmhurst is because the staff and, and uh, the doctors and the patients are so excited when someone who's been very sick gets healthy enough to leave the hospital, we've decided that we have, um, we have gotten 24-inch decorative daffodil lawn ornaments to put outside the hospital for each patient who is discharged from the hospital. We see this as a symbol of rebirth and new beginnings and of hope and an uplifting uplifting presentation of the fight these people went through to to, uh, fight this virus and to get healthy and to start their life again. And then each patient is going to be given a real daffodil and a note of encouragement um, for their health and their well-being from the hospital and from the caregivers. Uh, This really came from our caregivers wanting to recognize all these patients and knowing how hard it is for them to be alone while they've been going through this illness. And so we're really excited. And when you drive by the hospital, hopefully you'll see hundreds of daffodils outside. I think that's a great idea. And uh, I especially like the ones that that are uh, fake, so to speak, because uh, even I could keep those alive. (laughs) Yes, and they will last. That's right. Well, Pam, thanks so much for spending time with us. And uh, I, I encourage you to, to keep uh, letting your staff know how much all of us appreciate what they're doing for us. And uh, they really are our heroes right now. Well, thank you. Oh, I did want to say one more thing. Sure. We had yesterday morning a, the most moving experience. The Elmhurst Fire Department came to the hospital at 7 in the morning. They put a whole bunch of flags out, um, big, tall flags all along the walkway for the employees when they're walking into the hospital. They were all dressed in their uniforms, and they um, all were standing with their masks at each flag, and they were cheering and thanking the staff as they walked in, and they gave them donuts, and they gave them T-shirts, and it was really moving. So I want to appreciate the Elmhurst Fire Department for that beautiful experience. It was quite moving for our staff. And one other thing is that we are doing a community town hall meeting um, tomorrow. Dr. Uh, mayor Morley and the mayor of uh, Edward Hospital, I mean of, of Naperville, Mayor uh, Jericho, are going to be on the virtual town hall. So if anybody is interested in listening to that, we'll have a lot of physicians on that call as well. Um, the number is 312 
535-8110. And then you just dial in an access code of 806-062-904. So again, the number is 312-535-8110. And then an access code of 806 806- 062904 and that will be a community town hall about how Edward and Elmhurst is um, dealing with this well that's COVID. great because I think uh, community outreach is important and you and your your entire staff have done a great job with that so thanks so much for spending some time with us again Pam and I I hope we get to do this again next week not that I not that I hope that the pandemic goes on and on but I, I I'm certain that it will. <laughs> go for the next few weeks. So uh, look forward to talking to you next week. I look forward to talking to you as well. And you have a great safe week. Thank you. You too. Now more than ever, we're asking the community of Elmhurst to please fill out your U.S. 2020 census. It's quick, safe, and easy. And you can do it online at my2020census.gov. Thank you. Hi, this is Jack Island of the Silverado Grill. My definition of a great evening is yoga, Maryland Crab Cakes, and E-Town Lowdown with Robbie, Rick, and PK. Well, yoga and crab cakes. And now, it's time for another installment of One Ponce a Time with Lowdown legend PK and his overly enthused yesteryear expert friend, Elmhurst History Museum director, Dave Oberg. Hey, boys and girls. One ponce a time, an Elmhurst farmer found treasure while digging a well. In the 1870s, Louis Growey was digging for water on his land when he found something precious in the earth. His shovel did not find gold or buried treasure, but something that proved very lucrative all the same. Hundreds of millions of years ago, during the Paleozoic era, Illinois lay beneath the ebb and flow of a warm, shallow island sea. Growey's shovel found that ancient seabed formed by time and pressure into a limestone ridge which passed beneath the growing community of Elmhurst. In time, that limestone would be transformed into the foundations of homes and businesses, roads and sidewalks, which connected Elmhurst to a wider world. All right, so let's dig a little deeper. I've been really wanting to say that with this particular episode. Uh, Growey's discovery caught the attention of two area businessmen, Adolf Hammerschmidt of Naperville and Henry Osmond of Lombard. In 1883, the two businessmen formed a partnership to lease Growey's land and transform his small but promising quarry into a much larger concern. They connected the quarry to the main rail lines to a railroad spur, and after two years of profitable business, bought 11 acres of Growey's land outright for the sum of $3,300, about $88,000 in today's dollars, still a bargain in today's real estate market. Now, initially, the quarry produced clay brick and tile in addition to cut stone, but the clay tile quickly played out, and limestone became the sole focus of the operation. By 1893, Hammerschmidt bought out Osman, serving as sole proprietor of the company, which he named the Elmhurst Chicago Stone Company. Sons Max and William joined the operation, and it remains a family business to this day. Max would also go on to serve as the city of Elmhurst's second mayor. Cut stone from the Elmhurst Chicago Stone Company served as foundations for countless Chicago buildings. Crushed stone from the quarry found its way into ready-mix concrete, helping to build the expressways which ring Elmhurst today. The company employed cutting-edge technology in its operations, using steam shovels as early as 1915 before switching to diesel in the 1920s. 
Now, as Chicago and the suburbs grew, the modest quarry of the 1880s and 90s grew as well. Workers dug deeper and deeper, and the company acquired additional sites across DuPage County. Rail cars of cut and crushed stone gave way to an army of trucks. And then as the 20th century drew closer to its close, the quarry took on a new and unexpected meaning. Following a devastating flood in 1987, public officials sought new means to manage stormwater. DuPage County purchased the quarry in 1992, transforming it into a stormwater management facility in 1996. A biennial tours of the site, conducted in partnership with the Elmer History Museum and DuPage Stormwater Management, continue to be the hottest ticket in town, selling out in less time than a rock and roll concert. Nearby the quarry, the Elmer Chicago Stone Company's headquarters and concrete production plant still thrives at 400 West 1st Street, making it the oldest continually operating business in Elmer's history. Wow, Dave, you mean I could take a tour of the quarry? Yeah, only in odd-numbered years. Ah, and that's something that the museum works on with the quarry to make that available to the community. We, we love working with DuPage Stormwater Management on this, and I got to tell you, it's, it's amazing. Uh, when we did the tour in 2017, uh, we sold out of all of the tickets in four hours. In 2019, we sold out in an hour and a half. 2019 is 21, so our next one will be 23. No, 21, 21. Right? 21, God willing, and COVID don't rise. <laughs> and to be clear, there's a couple uh, interesting uh, names there of our forefathers for the community. Just to clarify, it's Osman, not Assman. Correct? That is correct. That okay. Is correct. Glad I didn't have to read that one. And then the other <laughs> one, lots of people go over, they say they're going over to Graw Mill uh, in Oak Brook to walk around, but you and I know it's both Growy Mill. Right? Crowley Mill, that is correct. Thanks for clarifying, Dave. You bet. My pleasure. All right. Bye-bye. The E-Town Lowdown brought to you by the wonderful folks at the Elmhurst Armpit Orchestra featuring the biggest bass drum in the world at nine feet in diameter. Yes, you heard that right. Nine feet in diameter. This has been a special presentation of the E-Town Lowdown.